I'm recording this hot little podcast on the lands of the Woiwurrung people of the Kulin Nation. Let me pay respect to their people and to their elders past and present. Fuck what you heard, because neither this nor anywhere else on this big brown continent was ever ceded to colonisers. It's Aboriginal land. This episode, we'll be speaking with Ros Ward about the Religious Discrimination Bill, and we'll be speaking to DJ about his very direct action fundraiser exercise involving supporting homeless and displaced Indigenous people up in far north Queensland. We got the thing them so them affiliate with Cause we are taking to them wicked up lately I know the whole community I live greatly Now, I said at the outset that this wasn't a podcast about parliamentary Canberra politics. I said it was a podcast about grassroots or direct politics or participatory action. Canberra's either fundamentally fucking broken or it's fundamentally functional. And in that case, it been driving continued extraction and leading us headlong into the kind of ecological disaster we know is coming. It is doing exactly what it's intended to do. Dig shit up, sell it off, emit, make money. That's the point. That is extractive capitalism. So I don't fucking nerd out too hard over what happens in Canberra. But we don't exist in a bubble. I mean, what they do still affects us deeply after all. And the success of participatory action involves it becoming a stronger power base, ideally. That's the goal. You know, another column of power that competes with and pressures parliamentary politics into reform. So I'm not blind to the existence of Parliament House. I'm not asking you to be either. I'm just not expecting too much from it. So when I see things like the fucking sports rorts controversy, I just, my eyes glaze over. Like what? What am I supposed to feel about that? Am I supposed to recoil in horror? Do you, honestly? I mean, sure, it's not great, but are we stunned? Because corruption is the system of government doing precisely what it was designed to do, which is to concentrate power in the hands of a few. Senator McKenzie should have been given an order of Australia, an acknowledgement from the highest tiers of the land, like the faux clinical psychologist, hack, loser, asshole, Patina Arndt. That's what our nation recognises now. That's who we honour here. I love the soft left Twitterati I constantly see demanding an ICAC for the endless corruption and fuckery that plagues Morrison's administration and the various lib ones that have preceded it. <laughs> an ICAC. Oh, we need an ICAC for the government. Yeah, righto, mate. Let's do an ICAC. Yeah, that's going to be the bureaucratic institution that's going to force the overarching bureaucratic institution to cease to do exactly what it's supposed to do. Good job. Oh, you can vote parties out, though, once every few years, sure. You can beg for a swing state. You can hope that in begging for your tick in the ballot box more, the parties will have to work harder. But can you vote the entire fucking system out of existence as it has been created and designed? I mean, not with the not with the options currently on offer your card, mate. What have we got as a major party alternative? We've got fucking Labour. The Australian fucking Labour fucking party. As I was a child of the 1980s, I have these like personal memories I write about quite a bit of you know, growing up in the Hawke and Keating eras. So I have these vague, fuzzy childhood memories of, you know, soft, warm and fuzzy institutional multiculturalism. And, you know, we are one, but we are many. Sort of assimilationist, racist, but kind of warm and fuzzy 90s mateship stuff. A little bit white saviour, a little bit, oh, I love the blacks and the gays. They're like my little wards. I will love and protect them and hold them close to my magnanimous white bosom. So I suppose that 
I suppose the broader prevailing attitude at the time, like informed my mindset as a kid, you know, and then I was somewhat disappointed to grow up and sort of realise that all those nice words Hawke and Keating had to say were kind of just backed up by decades of eroding worker rights and turning Australia into a neoliberal state. But, you know, hey, that's one thing. It's quite another thing altogether to have watched what I've seen happen since I turned 18, you know, almost 20 years ago, and that is the Australian fucking Labor fucking party for around 20 fucking years parroting the rhetoric of the libs on asylum seekers and almost everything else, begging for their scraps. Hey, who wants to get the toughest on asylum seekers, do you reckon? Is it Labor or the Libs? Who's the toughest? We're all tough on asylum seekers in Australia because that shows inner strength, doesn't it? Inner Aussie strength. But who's the toughest? There you go. That is the prevailing fucking question of every single Australian federal election for decades now. How they've fallen, the fucking Labor Party in their quest to lap up the rotting scraps of old policies that the Libs shat out years ago. What a shameful outcome. Christina Keneally's most devastating attack on Dutton is that he flies asylum seekers in via plane instead of allowing the boats in. That entire conversation is so lunatic to me that it makes me break out in hives. What does she expect us to say? That it's a shame that they actually do a little bit of what we've always asked them to do a lot more of. Here's Tanya Plibersek and her pledge that she wants children to be forced to reside in schools about loyalty to the fatherland. That soft left nationalist shit is done. Sorry, it's not going to work here in Australia anyway. We aren't structurally designed as we currently are or as we have ever been to be able to, you know, develop a conduit to soft left nationalism. We're a colony of the fucking British Empire and we haven't even popularly acknowledged our own brutal history yet. You can't do a sober and empathetic left nationalism when you haven't even acknowledged your own history of bloodshed and attempted genocide and violence. All you'll end up with is the same kind of right nationalist shit that the far right want us mired in. I don't care if you're a fucking Labour hack trying to offset the inherent potential for isolationism and racism with some shit pledge for the youth to recite through fuzzy-headed references to mateship, offsetting your fucking Hitler youth rhetoric with some fuzzy left election time 90s institutional multiculturalism bullshit That won't save the brown people and the gay people and the refugees from our bigotry. No, it's just Labor trying to cop a feel of soft right people in an effort to snatch up a few confused lib votes. Imagine being fucking Labor and thinking a soft Hitler youth is a good idea. Delusional. And I just, I know these people are not for me. You know, they're not for you, they're not for me. They're not for the working class. You know, the real working class that has all different colours and shapes and sizes and types of people in it, as opposed to this kind of made-up one apparently filled with actually quite wealthy but disaffected white people. The real working class out there with lots of different people eking out a living, they're not for that anymore. They do a better job than the libs of maintaining the system as as is through their absolute lack of genuine left responses to it. So how could you invest in Canberra? Are we supposed to wait another three years for these fake left pricks to tell us more shit about mateship and mumbling about stopping the boats like the libs of 10 years ago, only to wring their hands and then all sack each other again and lurch even further right when they inevitably lose again. We want viable left alternatives. And until we get them, you won't pull us in from out of the cold. 
screaming at your buildings with the pollies in it from the outside as we are. No fucking chance. We happen to like screaming. It suits us. We're good at it. We're yarning about the religious discrimination bill this episode, guys. It's unbelievable the bigoted ass shit that this bill wants to open the gate to. It honestly is. We're in a post-same-sex marriage plebiscite world where the population had to sit through months of divisive and governmentally sanctioned homophobic shit and they still overwhelmingly voted in favour of legalising same-sex marriage. What's happening here? Is our government trying to throw a bone to the conservative religious fundamentalist right with this bill? What kind of nasty, horrible behaviours will this entitle people to? And what can we do about it? To answer some of these questions, I've spoken to Ros Ward. Ros is organising actions against a religious discrimination bill and in fact just helped organise a very successful one in Melbourne last weekend. So we're going to hear from Ros about what's going on with this fucking bill, what the hell it is, and what we should do about it. Everyone, I'm speaking to Ros Ward. Ros is a long-time dedicated activist. Ros is the founder of the Safe Schools Programme. Ros is an academic who was once sacked by La Trobe University for saying that the racist Australian flag is racist. And Ros is someone who was once described by Mark Latham, I think, as plotting for the downfall of civilization. Hey, Ros, why are you so motivated? That's, to that's a big claim, isn't it? That I could bring down civilization. I mean, I'm, pr- I'm pretty good, but I'm not that good. Where did you develop these dark, arcane powers? I don't know exactly. It's a, it's a long history. You have to wait for my memoirs. Through um, safe schools and the like, you have been the centre of attention for every obsessive far-right loser in the nation and for years now. Mate, I, I take a bit of pride in the dumb shit that far-right idiots say about me, but I, I can't hold a candle to some of the best quotes that have been said about you. Do you sort of share like this sense of wanting to 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 collect some of these ludicrous quotes like trophies? Yeah, sometimes I do. Um, and there was a period there a couple of years ago where it was sort of, you know, dozens of messages every day directed at me. Yeah. Not not very pleasant ones. And you know, people who are well-known to be connected to some pretty aggro far-right organisations sending me messages saying that they knew where I lived and then it sort of stops being as funny at that moment. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Uh, but then it's also, it was at the same time, The Australian was publishing, you know, an average of one article, often two a day about safe schools and naming me most of them. Yeah. So that whole connection between like the mainstream press looking up the particular targets and then letting the kind of rabid dogs of the far right go after them, and it's quite an effective strategy from their perspective, I think. There was a study published not too long ago that was the first to sort of put, you know, like, like sort of um, uh, verify that verifying, I guess, or that rubber stamping relationship between. Uh, dog whistling, right wing media, like News Corp and what have you, and what then grassroots or whatever you want to call them, far right people do. And I, I've never, I've never seen far right people on the ground get as rabid as when they're basically encouraged to do it by the Australian and by, you know, Andrew Bolton, what have you. Hey, yeah. so you would have caught the worst. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. Matt, last last weekend you organised a very um, successful rally or helped organise regarding the religious discrimination bill. Can you tell me about the rally, how that went? Um, yeah, it was great. We had um, some really great speakers and we had probably almost a 1,000 people there, very lively march, lots of, lots of them. There's always an LGBTI sort of um, anti-homophobia and transphobia rallies. There's always a lot of really excellent homemade placards and signs. Mm. There was a lot of hatred for um, ScoMo, ScoMo, Smoko, whatever you want to call him, yeah. the Prime Minister. And um, so that was really great. Um, yeah, marched around the city. And yeah, I think people are starting to realize just how serious this attack is, not just on um, LGBTI people, but all sorts of minorities and women, you know, and anyone who wants reproductive services and all of that. So 
I think more and more people are getting um, worked up about it, rightfully so. Yeah. Such a huge range of potential consequences for this bill. Yeah. I was talking to someone yesterday about people with disabilities, you know, the idea that if you are um, someone with a religious belief that you could spout all sorts of awful, ableist, you know, disgusting tropes. Yeah. Um, employment of people with disabilities and stuff like that could be affected. I was talking to an older trans woman about all the fact that the aged care services are mostly in the hands of religious organisations um, with public money, obviously, but um, run by religious organisations. And then you think, what are you going to do? If you're an older trans person and they just say, no, you can't come to our aged care facility or you can, but then we're going to treat you like shit and we can do whatever we want. Like, it's pretty brutal, yeah. And that, and that's really what the bill appears designed to do, to to allow religious people to trout off with, or to make decisions in line with their religion that otherwise would be discrimination. Yeah, and even the other laws. Yeah. Were, I mean, that's really what it's entitling people to do, hey? Yeah, it basically goes over the top of every other protection that has been established, you know, over years and years of campaigning for people to achieve those protections in the law. And places like Tasmania, which sort of came from behind in terms of its legislation to be to having one of the best pieces of state anti discrimination legislation. That's named in the new law to say that will that won't count anymore, basically, because this new Religious discrimination bill at a federal level just wipes all of that out. The amount of laws that that would appear to stand over, I mean, this would, the, the reforms designed to protect things like students in schools, workers at workplaces, uh, yeah. you know, people visiting health services, all yeah. of these reforms. How can this, I mean, you know, there's been many people that have described this as a legal minefield, not to mention an ethical one, but surely the successful passage of a bill like this would put us back decades, wouldn't it? Yeah, I agree, yeah. Um, yeah, it's it's appalling, and I think one of the problems with it has been that when it was first released, a lot of people around on the left or progressive organisations, NGOs and stuff, sort of hesitated that's a generous way of putting it, but mm. they didn't want to come out and say we oppose the bill because they didn't want to be seen as sort of anti-religious on some level. And so what that meant, and it's exactly what the government designed it to do, obviously, but how are you going to put this through? We've got to attach it to something that people might feel a bit squeamish about, um, you know, objecting to. So they've tied it up with this whole thing about religious freedom and then people want to think about Islamophobia because it's such a real genuine problem in Australian society but then Mm. this has absolutely nothing to do with any of that and I think people just kind of got sucked in at the beginning thinking well maybe there's parts of it that are okay because it's culturally against discrimination but really this is you know as Janet Rice said yesterday Green's senator Mm. it's like a Trojan horse or bigotry discrimination yeah. and it's designed that way. Totally. And I mean, I think it's only a couple of years ago that we were all forced to loudly insist on the humanity of LGBT plus communities through the same-sex marriage plebiscite. And, you know, part of me wonders if we're simply being asked to dance that jig again to please some conservative religious fundamentalists, you know, on the right or in Christians. I mean, who who is who is yeah. this bill for? Is it only for them? I think so. I mean, if you trace, I think that's a large part of it. If you trace back to the Religious Freedom Commission that was established the same month that we won marriage equality in, that, in the postal survey, yeah. that's when um, uh, Turnbull said, oh, we probably need to investigate just in case this infringes on you know, religious rights. And then Ruddock, Philip Ruddock, um, not very well known, not well known as a progressive on any level. No, I don't this, recall him that know, way. Led, led this commission. And actually they found there's not there wasn't really all of that stuff, all of this stuff you could point to about any kind of um, 
prevention of religious expression or whatever. It wasn't really anything. Yeah. And then even in, in light of that, sort of reminiscent of the Safe Schools Review, where they found, oh, it's all fine and age-appropriate and good. They just ignored that and did what they wanted to do in the first place anyway, which was to introduce these bills and, in my case, to try to get rid of Safe Schools. But, yeah. you know, same kind of plan. Um, and I think it is definitely for the base of the Liberal Party and the Conservatives and people who love Cory Bernardi and all that kind yeah. of crowd. Yeah. And the big Christian organisations who've really been pushing it, you know, the big association of Christian schools, for example, and then um, the Catholic church hierarchy who wants these freedoms as well, which just, I mean, the irony of all of that um, just because it hardly needs to be spelled out, but I think someone yesterday at the rally said, I've just got two words for you, George Powell. Mm. Uh, mm. You know, in terms of when you start to silence people, yeah. um, that's kind of the result of all of that. So, yeah, I think it's definitely um, a bit of a shock to the, to the Christian um, lobby and all of the people who lost so badly in the marriage equality. And, and right. for, for 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 everyday people in real terms, there's going to be there could be some really significant circumstances, you know, consequences. I mean, you you know, your expertise and your background lies in schools. What could students potentially face as a result of this bill? Well, if in a religious school, I mean, it gives the, the leadership of a religious school the right to just pick and choose who they want as either students or teachers or other staff members in their school. Mm. Um, and they can, if they justify that on the grounds of religious belief, which is very easy to do in the current form of this um, draft legislation. Uh, but I think it goes beyond religious schools because, you know, when I was working at safe schools and we would talk in government schools about some of the arguments around why it's not okay for people to just sort of preach their homophobic and transphobic thoughts because it's somehow part of their religion. You know, yeah. It's about respect and um, valuing diversity, but also because there are protections in the law against discrimination. We used to say that it was part of the deal. And, you know, and even if you're just training yourself to going into work where you won't be able to say these kind of comments or a whole bunch of different arguments that we would use to make teachers and schools feel confident that they can challenge um, yeah. homophobia and transphobia. All of that just disappears, really. Yeah, because you don't because, have to be in a religious school to be an individually religious person with, say, exactly. homophobic views, for example. And so they could be doing that in public schools, couldn't they? Yeah, and and students who, you know, might be from a family of incredibly prejudiced people or whatever will come and, and be very confident then to say, no, I'm allowed to say I think gay people should burn in hell because I have protection, it's religious freedom, you know, um, the government protect me, I've passed this bill and I can say what I want. Unbelievable. The very yeah. concept of this, I mean, the, the amount of other legislation that you can just expect that this one bill is supposed to override in order to allow that. You wonder what, what we've been doing for decades if we let this through. It's just... Unconscionable. Yeah. What about people accessing health services? I mean, you know, surely, I mean, women asking for assistance with respect to abortion or reproductive, you yeah. know, uh, mental, what have you, surely they can be turned away, not just not just spoken, you know, to in a bigoted fashion by a, a religious doctor, say, but possibly even turned away, right? Yeah, definitely. Um, that's definitely allowed for in this. I mean, there's always been a sort of moral conscientious objection because the um, Australian Medical Association have, have written in to object to this bill as well because even when you've had previously the moral um, conscientious objection, you still are obliged under your medical sort of um, professional standards to refer people directly to another service who will provide the, the treatment or the care that you need. In this case, you don't even have to do that. You just say, no, tough luck, go away. And if you're then somebody, particularly in, in a rural area or regional Australia, then there's, you know, one GP in your town, 
and they say we're not giving morning after pill, we're not giving we're not gonna give hormone treatment to trans people, we're not gonna give crap to people who um have HIV, like all sorts of different things. Um you can just have a blanket refusal to provide that service. And so what's already a full experience for many LGBTI people that you know, getting any going to a doctor is sort of a scary thing because you don't know if they're gonna be homophobic or transphobic. Now like they don't even have to pretend that they're not, they just outright can just tell you what they think or refuse to see you or refuse to provide what are life saving treatments. The idea that we're going to introduce legislation in 2020 that will allow medical service providers to, you know, to palm off their responsibilities to help people is just terrifying, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. On the bright side of the bill passes, am I not able to immediately convert to, you know... Satanism. Yeah, Satanism and show up on the lawns of Parliament House and start drawing pentagrams in blood to summon the presence of the Dark Lord? Do you... Is that? Um, yeah, I think you probably. Uh, yeah. Roz, we can't stalk the halls of power in Canberra right now, and this is a bill after all. But we can yell loudly at them from outside, I suppose. What 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 should we all do? I mean, it's we're a little bit past last weekend's rally. I'm sure there'll be more. What 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 do we? What should people do? Do you think if they're outraged about this bill? Um, definitely join in the protest. I mean, Rainbow Rebellion is the group that I'm part of organising them in Melbourne, but there's also uh, in all the major cities around Australia, there's groups people can get involved with. Um, and then, I mean, one of the things as well, I think that should be pointed out is the fact that the Labor Party has not come out to say that they oppose these bills. So... If people are members of their trade unions, I think this is definitely a union issue you know, that people can be stuck on discriminatory ground. Um, and for the trade unions to then also put pressure on the Labor Party because mm. they, they unequivocally oppose the bill that it should be scrapped um, entirely. They should be opposing and, it on ethical grounds, but they should also be opposing it, opposing it on workers' rights grounds as well, as you can yeah, see. Yeah, right? exactly. Oh. I mean, it's pretty, it's appalling that they haven't. Oh, really. it's unbelievable. I'm, I've been talking in the intro to the podcast about the absolute moral vacuum that they exist in these days and and, and, yeah. and surely, surely act bills like this are a perfect opportunity to change their tune in that respect. I, I find it stunning that they've said nothing so far. Yeah. So people, I mean, if people are in any way connected to anyone in the Labor Party, you know, have a go as much as you can and, and tell people and bring it up. And if you um, see any Labor people wandering around, I wish we give them a good yell about this. Yeah, yeah. Okay. They need to be but, yeah, there. I just think we've got to think about how we won marriage equality, um, and that was through kind of consistent, persistent, big mobilisations of people to just keep that pressure up to say this is, you know, and the opinion polls show that the majority of people agree with us on this one, that no one thinks that just because you're religious, it gives you the right to discriminate yeah. um, and persecute people. Like, it's just a very honest, sort of decent human value, I think. Um, but we need to make sure that the government knows that people aren't just passively disagreeing with them that they're prepared to do something about it and that this is an issue that um, they might be prepared to vote on or, you know, just add to the pressure around Scott Morrison being a terrible, imploding shit show um, <laughs> that we should be trying to get rid of. So, I mean, all of that is, yeah. Really all important. part of the picture, yeah. Yeah, and and you said a little earlier, Rainbow Rebellion is that it, that's a good page for people to follow for updates on on actions and what have you, yeah. Yeah, so Rainbow Rebellion on, on Facebook, follow us, and we'll keep you updated. I think it's happening in and around Melbourne. Excellent, Ros. Can you can we let everyone know about your podcast, mate? We've all got podcasts these days. It seems oh, everyone's yeah. everyone has a everyone in their dog has a podcast. <laughs> For, um, for each lefty, one podcast. What's your one? I know. 
What's it? What's it called? I am democracy. Um, <laughs> it's called Red Flag Radio. Red Flag Radio, and we're, we're on all the major sort of platforms. So yeah. Platforms. Yeah, you can subscribe. You can check us out. It's basically a revolutionary socialist podcast with a perspective on kind of current events, his, historical stories, and a bit of theory and stuff like that. So yeah. Yesterday I was on another local lefty activist podcast, which also began at the start of January, like mine did. That one's called Not Good Enough. It's sort of climate-centred, but, again, activist-leaning. Then there's yours too, which I think began in maybe December, November, December. Is that right? I think it's October. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think we've got about 14 or 15 episodes now. Does this make us rivals, Ross, enemies? Can't we just be friends? Well, we're not right. We're kind of... Co-podcasting um, solidarity. Comrades, if you will. Yeah. Yeah. Ladies and gentlemen. People who listen to a lot of podcasts, they should only listen to mine and yours and yeah, maybe one other, but yeah. Your one and my one, and that's it. Yeah. Cancel all the yeah, other yeah, ones. Yeah, that sounds right. like a good idea, mate. Thank you so much for your time, Ros Ward. Pleasure. Thanks for your work. Hello Australia, my name's Tanya Plibersek. In a moment, I'm going to ask you to recite the Labor Pledge to the Fatherland with me. I need you to go and grab all your children from their bedrooms or ask them to come in from outside or any children in the area. Can you see any children? Go and get them, even if they're not yours. I'll wait. Have you grabbed all nearby children? Good. Hello, kids. You have to recite the following pledge. Hear the adults nearby? They're all watching you. They'll tell me if you don't do the pledge. So you better do the pledge. Good. Okay. Let's do the pledge. From this time forward, I pledge my loyalty to the fatherland and its mighty people, whose blood I share, whose Australian soil I demand respect for, and whose strong laws I will shed blood for. Tomorrow belongs to me. If any nearby children fail to decide the pledge, please report to your nearest Labor MP's office with those children. Please bring their identification and, if applicable, their passports. We'll take care of them from there. Thank you. I'm here with DJ. DJ is an Aboriginal activist and artist, and he is the creator of a fundraiser that's been doing the rounds on Facebook called the Supporting Displaced and Homeless Mob in Far North Queensland Fundraiser. G'day, DJ. How are you going? Good. How are you, Tom? I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. Mate, tell us a bit about this fundraiser. Yeah, so... Um I uh, started a Facebook fundraiser after uh, we heard news that there was a lot of mobs coming down from Aratoon, um after some issues on New Year's Day. Whereabouts? Um, sorry, so whereabouts is Aracoon? Are we talking? We're talking right at the top of Queensland kind of area, aren't we? Yeah, yeah. So um, Aracoon is uh, it's in the Gulf of Carpentaria, so yep. that little bite up the top there in between Queensland and Northern Territory. Yep. Um, it's about 100 k's south of Weeper on that same coastline. Yep. So, yeah, yeah, very far north. And there's another community up there where um, some of it come down to Gimoy, um, which for future reference is Cairns, far north Queensland. Yeah. Um, that come from, uh, yeah, Cohen's about 300 kilometres away from Aracoon, so around the corner from Aracoon, up that way. Yep. And um, there's a lot of families that um, yeah related to each other from those two communities. So a lot of them have uh, come down after the events of uh, New Year's Day and the, and the sort of following weeks from that. And there's still people coming even up to this day, um, still coming down, the numbers growing. So as far as we know, there's um, about 
just under 150 people who are in the Gimoy area at the moment, but uh, there's reports that there's about 300 people that have been displaced from Arakoon and Cullen at the moment. Can we go into what happened on New Year's Day? Yeah, so um, two young fellows had gone to an altercation on, uh, or in the early morning of New Year's Day and I uh, believe stabbed a, a mid-30s fellow up there um, who actually passed away. Um, so what happened then is there was a, a, a big police response um, and, you know, a lot of the families up there from, from what I've heard from more who are down here now didn't quite know what was happening, what it answers, but the police just went into lockdown mode and then started flying in and bringing in more police, which is always concerning up in the community. Um, you know, any time there's extra police there, it, it's never a good thing, so um, that caused some tensions in the community. Um, so from then, um, there was a, a bit of clashes between families and that sort of thing and then clashes with police up in the community and a lot of young families and older people, you know, it, it wasn't safe for them to stay there. So yep. uh, they started off just, um, or they, they fled out of town um, and then some of them, because they've, they've fled town with nothing and there was also some um, damage to high people's homes and that sort of thing um, in the days following. So they've then come down to... Um, even though it's um, a fair way away, it, it's sort of the, the next um, hub, you know, yeah. the, the big town where they um, feel like they can, they can access services and that sort of thing that they might need. Okay. Um, unfortunately, that's not the case. <laughs> so they're all displaced and homeless, and this is where your fundraiser comes in, eh? Hey? Yes. Yeah, 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 that's right. So... Um, uh, you know, uh, myself and uh, a couple other people that do some activism work around. I mean, you know, we're always loosely working with community around here or homeless mobs that are down here. Um, as I said, you know, uh, Gimli being the sort of service centre for the rest of the north, um, a lot of people from the Cape are actually coming down here anyway, whether that's to uh, come to hospital or to the families that are staying down here or some of the old people that, um, unfortunately have to come down here to go into care because the facilities aren't there in community and the government funding's not there. Um, so we've, we've sort of loosely been doing work with homeless people um, just off our own backs, not with any of the, the big NGOs or government departments or anything like that. Yeah. Um, so when this happened, that was just a, you know, a, a huge urgent expansion of, of some of the smaller things that, that we've been doing. What I love about it is that you've been doing the damn thing yourself. So, and I mean, uh, you know, anyone, anyone will tell you that we've just been through a month of some astronomically large fundraisers related to the bushfires, but they're often going to very large organisations. Whereas, you know, um, what you're doing here is directly, you know, you're carrying out the work yourself. So when people are chucking money at you, they're seeing your updates directly because you're using the money to do the work and then and reporting back on it, hey? Yeah, yeah, and that's it. So, um, you know, some of the artworks that I've sold um, in the early new year, um, every cent of that went directly towards, you know, in the beginning it was like, you know, getting people's supplies up and running. So a lot of young families around and young mums and stuff were getting clothes and, you know, all the baby supplies, nappies, formula, all that sort of thing. And then, um, you know, because the amount of people that were coming down here was so unexpected, all the, the crisis centres and, and public housing and all that sort of thing, they, they were just not doing it. You know, they just didn't have the, the room for people and they weren't wanting to be creative or anything. So we were just getting told at capacity, at capacity, at capacity, anytime we spoke to anyone. So, um, you know, then, then the rest of that uh, was starting to pay for people in private accommodation, which was another issue because um, a lot of people didn't have IDs with them or anything remotely like ID, which for, um, you know, your everyday white person may not be an issue, but if you're a black fella coming into... Um, a tourist town and wanting to get a, a room at a even a dodgy little your roadside motel or something, it, it, they still face that discrimination where it's like, you know, we want your ID, we want to make sure that if you trash our room, which they assume is going to happen, that, you know, we can get some money back off you or we can charge you or whatever. So 
that, that's the first thing that people were facing when we were trying to find them accommodation that was outside of those them crisis centres and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, yeah. Look, I'm down here in bloody latte sipping socialist far left Melbourne, mate. But I imagine it's a it's a different matter altogether, raising clams and doing good work up there where you are. And you know, you've you you also you've mentioned some of the difficulties in terms of like, you know, you don't just have bureaucratic institutions, you've sometimes got institutions that are deliberately bureaucratic just to exclude indigenous people from their services. Hey, like hotels oh, and for sure. Yeah. For a place with a big indigenous community, you know, it, it, it and that is a blindingly obvious fact when you come up here, especially if you're mob, you know, they, that it, it's blindingly obvious that stuff if, if, that people face every day. So, um, you know, to, to be able to, I don't know, it, it just ask, like mob, looking after mob, basically, um, that was just the, the best way to be able to do it. But obviously, you know, I mean, we've been doing other activism stuff and then we've all got wives and everything as well. So, so the funds dried up really, really quick and, and then had the fundraiser, which, which started to help really, really quickly, which is great. Yeah. Are you encountering other difficulties during the process of, of, of visiting folk and what have you? Any obstacles? Any racist dogs, perhaps? Yeah, yeah, yeah. A few are racist dogs. There's, um, <laughs> We've got a lot of racist dogs up here in the north, unfortunately. Mm. Um, I mean, when you're in a rough situation, the, the last thing you want is some thick slice white loaf motherfucker, you know, <laughs> causing shit in your in your face when you get, you know, you, you're getting somewhere, you, you don't know the people, um, you know, you don't know what's going to happen, you've got to look after your kids and you don't know where your next meal's coming from and you're off country, you know, where some of these people have never actually left Arica and from the people that we've spoken to. Um, anyway, so uh, one of the issues that we faced is so one of the main crisis centres at the moment where um, most of the families, well, not most, but a lot of the families are based, um, is not far out of Jamoy's sort of town centre. Yeah. And um, they've got security over there, so obviously just a private security firm. Um, and so we, we took a whole heap of supplies. So... We had a, a dual cab ute with a cab on the back and it, it was chockers, like it was full. It was, you know, you could, you could only, it was just me and Auntie Tam in the car and then the back seat was full and the cab was full of stuff. So kids' toys, um, nappies, linen, we had some camping supplies for some of the uh, blokes that have been visiting um, families or relations there that couldn't actually stay there. Um, so we had some of that stuff, food, you know, clothing, Heaps and heaps and heaps of stuff. Anyway, so we pulled up there and there's the, the big sliding prison-like gate. Um, and so we got directed in by this, yeah, this, this security guard and, uh, pulled up there. And, uh, one of the ladies that was working at the crisis center, who was an Aboriginal lady as well, she was really, really helpful. You know, she was going to ask a few people, um, if they wanted to come and see what we got. And then we could start handing it out and, you know, helping whoever wanted what, take it back into their rooms at the place and, you know, get the kids' toys out there and stuff um, in the sort of playground area that I had there. So I pulled out the car in the car park and uh, the security guard, he basically looked at us for a sec, looked at some of the people that were sort of sitting out of front of their rooms and I just said, oh, look, look, just dump it here. You know, these they, people are like seagulls with hot chips. Like, just, you know, just chuck it on the ground and they'll form in and just grab it and run. And that, that yeah. floored me. You know, yeah, he, he was there when we were talking to the auntie that was, you know, working in the office there about what we were going to do and the reason why we were going through the security gate. And then for him to come up with that was just like, yeah, nah, fuck off. That was ridiculous. Yeah, how are you doing what you're doing? Why don't you go and find a white fucking enclave somewhere? Yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah, yeah. And that, that's the thing, you know, you wanted to go full yard on them, but, but um, there, was, <laughs> there was another guy there too, actually, who just thought it was funny, I think. Um, another white security guard there. And um, so, anyway, there, 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 you know, there's little kids and stuff around, so I didn't want to really do the old Lionel Rose and... But you know, so I just uh, you know, I, I said something to him like, oh, you know, why, why, why are you working here? You know, if you've got this attitude, why would you even work here? Like, go work in a nightclub or something. Go be a bouncer if you want to do this. And yeah. he just shrugged it off anyway. So then we just made a real effort of 
you know, taking extreme care and making it extremely obvious that we weren't just dumping shit and letting it go. You yeah. know, we're actually going through stuff with people and, you know, if, if there was younger ladies coming up and we're going, oh, you know, this, this stuff would probably say, you guys, do you want to have a look at this? And, um, you know, who's got kids? Because we got this size nappy, we got this, that, and the other, we got the kids' toys. And, um, yeah, we spent a fair while there and then had a few yarns with some of the people there. Um, got to meet two elders, Aunty Dorothy and Aunty Maisie. Um, they had a really good yarn about what's going on for them and their mobs. Um, and, you know, they're, they're older ladies, but, they're, they're, you know, the amount that they're doing for their people in those crisis centres and everything, you know, they're, they're playing counsellor, grandma, mother, you know, health facilitator, everything. Like, they're, they're just amazing people. So um, we've got that connection with a lot of the families there at the moment. And um, and then the people that are related to them or, you know, sort of, well, friends and family of theirs that um, can't stay at the crisis centres have sort of reached out through, through the people at that crisis centre, which is then led us to other areas around the place, you know, that we've set up campsites for homeless people um, around the place, sort of away from crying eyes of other racist dogs up in the north. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think what you're doing is fucking incredible, DJ, you and everyone else around you who's doing it. Um, I, I think that, you know, I would hope that all our listeners chuck some clams at this fundraiser, which I will put a link up to because, you know, uh, supporting direct you know, action or activism or community-based stuff is the most vital thing you could do with your money. And, you know, once you've done that, you can look inside the Facebook fundraiser and see exactly what DJ and, and, and co are doing with with the money, which is supporting um, Indigenous folk, and it's fucking incredible. I, you know, I would also want to um, I, I want to point out your art as well because you're a fucking prodigiously talented fucking artist. DJ Kira. Yeah, thanks, bro. Yeah, it's absolutely incredible. If everyone could please visit there. Did you say that there was at one point you were donating all of the proceeds from your incredible yeah, art to this? Yeah, that's still going. You know, like that, I mean, that, that, aside from the fact that I just, you know, love my painting and my culture and everything, you know, that, that, the, the reason for that was to raise money um, to be able to do different activism projects, whether that's community-based stuff or environmental direct action stuff. Um yeah, yeah. So, so any purchases from uh, DJ Kira Art, um, which is uh, Instagram Deej, which is D E E J Kira K I R R A Art um, on Instagram. So people can yeah, if they have a look at that and um, give it a follow and uh, anything on there. Yeah, if they want a message or anything, if they want to get anything off there. Anyway, any cent of that will go directly towards this project at the moment because this, this is the thing that we're focusing on at the moment and that we need money for and um you know as you said every single cent of this is going directly to this if if we get 50 bucks off someone then that 50 bucks is going directly to maybe you know camping supplies for old uncle down the creek there or um you know 50 dollars worth of nappies for, for some young mom um and her three kids there or um you know health stuff any anything that we need to do and and you know that that list will be ever changing there's obviously the things that are daily needs but um you know, the, the more people we meet, the more things that, that we're needing to set up um, and be able to, you know, go and do that sort of thing. So, DJ, yeah. you're a fucking legend, mate. I hope everyone supports you. I'll certainly be twisting their arms to do so. Thanks so much for coming on, mate, and all the best. Yeah, thanks, bro. Hey, um, would I be able to just shout out a few people that have really helped with this fundraiser who have um, shared this stuff? Of course you can. Hit me up. Thanks, do it bro. now, please. So, uh, yeah, yeah. Well, thank, thanks to you, obviously, for this. And, you know, you've been sharing the hell out of this fundraiser the last couple of weeks, too, on your pages. Um, but, you know, there's a few other people, and I, I'm 100% sure I'll forget some people on this list. So I apologise to anyone that I'm forgetting. Big love to all you who have been sharing my fundraiser. Um, but in particular, you know, uh, beautiful, talented and deadly crew, uh, Kira there, absolute legend, uh, feminism and decolonization, the Boriginal podcast, uh, the page Angry, Bla uh, the Angry Black Woman, uh, Corky is the editor for Blackfellow Re Revolution, uh, Indigenous anarchists in so-called Australia, uh, anarchists against poverty in North Queensland, um, and recently we also had a share from comedian Will Anderson, which is pretty deadly, so that got a fair bit of reach, which is good. Beautiful. Thank yeah. you so much for your time, DJ. Thanks, Tom.
G'day! Welcome to the Rally Gig Guide for the upcoming fortnight. All the shit you should damn well show up to if you give a damn about the world you live in. February the 14th, we have a Valentine's Day snap action. Join Seedmob for a creative action this Valentine's Day as they break up with Origin in support of traditional owners in the NT fighting against Origin Energy. Outside the Origin headquarters at 321 Exhibition Street in Melbourne at 4pm. Don't be a selfish dog. Show some solidarity, fuck yeah. Get on down. Also February the 14th in Sydney, a lot of Valentine's Day stuff. Yeah, Memorial March for TJ Hickey, the young Gamilaroi man killed by New South Wales Police in 2004. Starts 10.30am outside the Indigenous Social Justice Association at 2093 Hugo Street in Redfern. February the 18th, rally to protect the unburnt. Climate rally. You don't like Australia on fire, then go and let the fucking government know. Parliament of Victoria, Spring Street Steps, 12pm. February the 22nd, Footscray Pride March. Go march with the LGBTIQA plus community in the town that I always call my spiritual home. Sweet, sweet Footscray. Nicholson Street Mall at 12.30pm. Also on February the 22nd, the big climate crisis national day of action. There'll be huge rallies all over. Don't be a fucking flog, I keep telling you. Get on down. The joint's on fire, you lazy cunt. The Melbourne one is at State Library at 2pm. Sydney is at Sydney Town Hall at 2pm. Brisbane is King George Square at 5pm. See you at one of them. February the 29th is a refugee rights action outside the Mantra Hotel in Preston. They've got these poor people locked up in there in unbelievable circumstances. Don't you dare accept these internment camps lying down. 216 Bell Street, Preston at 2pm. Hey, thank you so much for running back into my warm, loving embrace for another episode of The Pork and Feed the Birds. I'm Tom Tanneke. Hit me up at tomtanneke.net. Well, there's a bunch of information about me and all my previous and current projects on there. You can also talk to me through Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. I'm on other platforms. I'm all over the shop. I do regular articles at True Crime News Weekly. And I also really would love your support. If you support what I do, it's not more important than the many causes that I will flog now and forever through my various platforms. But it would really help me if you would chuck a clam or two my way through Patreon. Patreon.com slash Tom um, Hit me up there. A uh, few different tiers of membership and I'll give you some benefits and you'll also be cucking the shit out of me. You'll be my daddy. And wouldn't that be nice for you to financially dominate me by being my patron? Love you all. Thank you so much. See you next fortnight for another episode of the Pork and Feed the Birds.